the church is a community brought into the truth together through the love of Jesus. And now in Christ, we're uniquely able to speak truth with love to the world. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Notice several things about the way we should live together as believers from these verses. First, the church must be a community where we put away falsehood. Having the truth in Christ doesn't necessarily mean we'll regularly live by that truth. We're still prone to making decisions based on a flawed vision of the world, as opposed to the clear vision of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we regularly need to put away falsehood in ourselves as we speak with and encourage others. We must always be ready to admit our blind spots and weaknesses. We must be eager to measure our thoughts and ideas against the word of God. We must engage in honest fellowship with each other that seeks to sharpen our thinking together as we seek a clearer vision of how we might live in the truth of Christ. Second, the ongoing health and growth of the church depends on speaking truth to one another. In fact, it's an obligation because the people of the church are members one of another. The church is not a loose collection of people that periodically come together like a jigsaw puzzle on Sundays. The language here is much stronger. Your local church is a community of people organically connected to each other like body parts. We are members one of another. So the health and growth of the overall body is directly tied into the mutual health and growth of each body part. We must speak truth to each other exactly because we're bound up together with each other. And as we do so, the Lord will use the various differences and perspectives of each member to help us grow together. So it is our responsibility to be ready to humbly listen to each other and to be bold and courageous enough to speak to one another. Third, our primary calling as a Christian is to love. Love sums up the law of God. So we can never be concerned with just speaking truth, but also with how we speak that truth. We are to speak the truth of God in Christ while living the truth of God in Christ. Speaking truth to one another must go along with being kind, patient, gracious, humble, willing to serve and sacrifice time and energy for the benefit of others. All the things that make up Christian love. If we're going to speak the truths of God, truths that center around the love of God to us in Christ Jesus, they don't need to be matched by actions that show we believe in and seek to live out this love. This means that we'll hold ourselves to the truth before anyone else. A spirit of love is humbly willing to look at the plank in our own eye before taking the speck out of someone else's eye. It means a humble awareness of how even being right in the truth 
might still make us wrong with God because of our lack of love. So, for example, you can outwardly be very sexually moral, but still in your heart be far from God. A commitment to love and connection to truth is humble enough to regularly recognize and repent from this tendency towards self-righteousness and self-justifying. To put all this in another way, we speak gospel truths, and we also live out the truths of the gospel. There are many versions of life we can live. There are many stories we can script for our lives. The gospel is the truest story out there, which makes it the best version of life we can possibly live. For the truth will always set us free from the false stories the world instead wants to tell. Of course, standing for truth can and will put the church at odds with the culture. It will put the church at odds within herself at times, as many Christians would rather not speak truth to other Christians or react offensively when we need truth to be spoken to us. It will frequently be easier to keep quiet about the truth in a world that rejects it, or to shout God's truth at the world without showing the world God's love. But the more the truth of Christ and the love of Christ shines from our words and from our lives in the world, the less power the lies of the world will have, and the less attractive the love that the world offers will seem. Displaying Jesus as we live like Jesus, the bringer of grace and truth, is the strongest counter we have to the cultural trends of the world. As John says at the start of his gospel, Jesus, the true light, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All right, now I'm on kind of flying blind up there, you know, I can't really tell what button you're pushing, if you're pushing any button at all. Um, but I love the videos that Vernon has been putting on. Um, they're just really to the point, very theologically sound. The more I studied out that passage, the more I realized he just tied in what Ephesians chapter 4 was saying in his talk so very well. Um, so I'm very thankful um, for the pastors finding the curriculum and, and bringing it up here for us to use. It's a really good introduction to what we are going to be talking about tonight. Um, but before we get started on that, um, the spirit of the Super Bowl, I brought free stuff. And there's just a little bit of free stuff, so you've got to kind of fight for it at the end. Um, I like Sunday school because I can bring a lesson that has, say, 15 questions. And if you're in my class, you know we maybe get through two and a half on a Sunday. And on, for that, I can just say, hey, we're going to pick up here next week can't do that up here. Pastor Tim said 8.30 is going to be pushing it. So um, about 8.30, I expect you guys to kind of start looking at your watches and wandering out. So if anything um, that we talk about tonight catches your attention, you want to know more, there's a good chance that I've got a couple books um, that could maybe help out a little bit with that. The first one is a nice small book called What is the Gospel? By, by Greg Gilbert. And it just will walk you through what the gospel is and why it matters. It's been very helpful to me as I've come to understand the importance of the gospel 
and want to understand it so that I can apply it to my life and, and also be able to explain it well to somebody that God brings into my life. The second one is similarly named, it's the gospel. How the church portrays the beauty of Christ. And again, small, quick, easy read, um, but very good at explaining how the gospel really guides the church and dictates to the church how she lives in this world in light of the gospel. So those are the, the free ones. I've got three copies of each, so come on up and get them if, if you're of interest to you at the end. Um, for a small fee, if all three are gone, I can probably get you another copy. The last, the last resource is one I don't have up here with me. I have it in Kindle format. Um, but it's a great book that really will walk you through how to um, deal skillfully with the gospel, with what Christ has already done in the lives of others. And it's called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul David Tripp. Um, just the, the best book that I've read, really, about how we love one another and care for one another in real life when we have problems, when we have difficulties. So um, those are the three things, free stuff's up here at the end. Nobody, nobody hurt each other coming up, though, okay? With that, we're going to get into the book of Ephesians and the passage that Vernon talked about, Ephesians 4, um, verses 15 and 16 are going to be our main passage, but we're going to jump back and um, talk about a couple other passages earlier in the book before we do that. Remind us what Ephesians, a little bit of background, Paul's writing this letter to the churches in Ephesus and the surrounding areas while he's imprisoned in Rome because of his proclamation of the gospel. And the letter of Ephesians is just saturated with that gospel. It's, it's a gem. You know, a lot of Paul's other letters are written to correct um, or to combat a false doctrine. Ephesians isn't really like that. It's just a very clear, rich presentation of the gospel. Um, it's just God showing us the beauty of what he has accomplished through his son. And Ephesians, just a little background, is divided up into two sections, just like all of Paul's epistles. They're always divided into two sections. The first one is the doctrine. Here's what's true. Here's what God has done, period. Not you, not your effort, not your striving, God. Here's what God's done. First half, doctrine, principles. Second half, which in Ephesians is chapters four through six, is all about becoming who God has made you in Christ. First half, here's who you are. Second half, here's how you become what you already are. Here's how you live. Here's your duty. Here's the practice. Um, so that's, we're going to start in the first half tonight and look at the principles, look at the doctrine, and then move across to the second half to how we become who we are in Christ. And we'll see that God does not ever ask us to become something or to do something that he has not already provided for. God always provides for what he commands, for what he asks us to do. And then seeing that, seeing how God provides for our Christian lives gives us great confidence in the power and authority of his word. The more we dig in, the more we see what's true, the more we act on it, the more we see that his word is true, and the more confidence we have in it as we walk out our lives before the world. So before we can get to our main passage on being a truthful church in a confused world, we need to take some time to look at the doctrine that is the foundation of this duty of speaking the truth in love. We need to see the principles that lead to this vital practice of our speaking the truth as a church. We need to see the gospel that shapes our living. And one thing I wanted to notice before 
or kind of mention, I'm going to stick close to my notes. I'll be reading some because Lynn Dutcher told me that going long doesn't apply to sermons. So that goes for the Super Bowl tonight, not for me. So I'm going to stick close to my notes so that we don't go too long. So before we do that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for all that you provided to us in your word. Father, give us all, including myself, ears to hear, um, a heart that is open and soft. Father, work in your spirit tonight to let us see how you would have us communicate and what you would have us communicate to a confused world. Father, guide my words through your spirit. And Father, if I would say anything that is untrue or confusing, please stop it. I pray all this for your name's sake. Amen. Okay. So if you'd open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, um, I think you'll find out as we go tonight, it'll be real good for you to have your Bibles open. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one of those um, in the pews in front of you. Um, that's, if you're like my kids, just learning how to get into the Bible and where things are, you're going to find that on page 976. Chapters are the big numbers, verses are the small ones. So let's read together. You'd be surprised how helpful that is to a lot of, a lot of us sometimes. <laughs> Ephesians 2, verse, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we start right out in verses 1 through 3 with the bad news. It says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. That's who we are as humans. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are dead, disobedient followers of Satan who are destined for destruction. We are self-absorbed, self-serving, self-seeking glory stealers. And there's nothing that we can do about our condition. I, I don't ever want us to think, as the world thinks, that we're, you know, we're struggling along, doing okay on our own. All we need is a, you know, just a hand to reach out and help us along just a little bit. No, that's, that's not what we are. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And there's no life in us. There's nothing good in us. There's no life. And we have to have a Savior. We must. We must. But he doesn't stop there. He goes to the... The two greatest words in all of Scripture, I think. But God. But God being rich in mercy. We see God in his mercy not placing his wrath on us, the wrath that we deserve. We see God 
in his love, loving the loveless, loving those who don't deserve love. We see grace in God giving us salvation, salvation that we could never earn, that we will never, ever deserve. And just want to talk just a little bit here about verses 8 and 9. I know we've probably just about all of us memorized it, whether in Awana or different, different stages and walks in our life. But I want us to just see it again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So this faith that we exercise, that's not even ours. God gives that faith. There's nothing that we provide for our salvation. There's nothing that we can provide. It is all given and provided by God. And then just want to touch real quick on verse 10, where it says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We'll get into this more later in the, in the chapter or in the sermon, so if it's not totally clear, we're going to come back to it. But I really like how John Piper describes this. He says that the root, the source of energy, the emp- source of empower, um, the empowering agent, sorry, is God and his work. That's the root. That's where it all comes from. God is the root. Then the fruit of that, that he brings forth through his life in us, that's the works. That's the works that he's talking about, the good works. So God is the source, and it is his energy coming through the roots that he has planted in us that bear the fruit. So even the fruit of the works that we bear are God's energy. They come from Christ alone. Then I just want to stop here for a minute. Um, there's a small crowd tonight, I know, but there's always an unbeliever. There's always somebody who doesn't know Christ. And I want to talk to you for just a minute. We as Christians talk about the life that we have in Christ, the joy that we have in Christ, the salvation that we have in Christ because of what he has done for us. We, we talk about purpose and hope and life. And I want to tell you something. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you haven't accepted what he offers to you, that ain't yours. Those things aren't yours. You don't have them. You don't have them. And you can't get them. It doesn't matter how good of a life you live, how many old ladies you help across the street, how many times you serve on committees. It doesn't matter how much you read your Bible. If you read it every day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many prayers you pray. It doesn't matter if you're confirmed. It doesn't matter if you're baptized. It doesn't matter if you're faithful in church. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or a deacon or an elder or a missionary or you go on mission trips every year. None of those things will save you. They can't. And so I just want to beg you tonight to think, to listen, to understand that you were created by a holy, righteous, loving, and just God. And you are under his wrath. And there's nothing that you can do to get out of it. Because of your sin, because you're rebelling against him. But he sent his son, Jesus Christ, according to his eternal plan, to be your rescuer, to show you his glory, to show you his love. He's provided everything you need for salvation. You don't have to work for it. You can't work for it. You just have to believe that the way you're going is wrong. It's leading you to death and to turn to Christ and believe in what he has offered. I know there's somebody in here that doesn't believe. Think about that. 
talk to me, talk to other pastors, talk to Chris that's up here. I mean, tons of us would just make our year to talk to you about what Christ has done and what he'd like to do in your life as well. So that gets us through the first doctrine section that we're going to talk to talk about tonight. The second doctrine section is found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And we see here in verses 14 through 17 that Paul asks the Father to strengthen the churches with power through his Spirit so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. This is so important for us as Christians to take note of. The strength and the power that we need for living this life as a Christian for God's glory does not come from ourselves. Just as we can do nothing to save ourselves, so we can do nothing of our own strength to work for God. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to work for God. It has to be his strength flowing through his provision in our lives to work for his glory. And also in this section, it's just really, really neat to see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit named right there, so close to each other. We see the Father planning our salvation. We see the Son accomplishing our salvation and the Spirit applying that salvation to our lives. Brothers and sisters, as we live out, for, live out our lives as Christians, let's not forget that. We have the Trinity working for us. They're working for us for their glory. What hope and what strength and what assurance that gives. Verses 18 and 19 are really the heart of this section. Um, they contain the main request of Paul, um, and that's that the church would have strength to comprehend the love that they are rooted in. This love that Christ has shown us is incomprehensible for us, yet through the Spirit we can know it, we can comprehend it, and we need the work of the Spirit in our lives in order to understand the deep, deep love of Christ. And it, is till not, and it is not until that work of understanding, of comprehending his love, not until that happens, will we be filled with the fullness of Christ. We cannot become mature Christians until that strength is worked in us to understand his love. We cannot live holy lives until that work of love happens. We cannot be merciful until we understand the love of Christ. Really? Truly, we can't know anything about Christianity, about following Christ, apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives to give us the strength to comprehend the great love of Christ. So let's pray for that. Let's pray for that in our own lives. Let's pray for that in the lives of our brothers and sisters here. Let's pray for that 
um, pray that our pastors and those who teach us in Sunday school would have the wisdom and the knowledge to guide us in that so that we can understand the love of Christ. I just want to read um, just a real quick quote from the Bible. Um, we got the Gospel Transformation Study Bible. Just, just love it. Every, they've really focused on how the, the gospel is in every passage of the Bible. They do a really good job. So the notes that they have for verses 20 and 21. Both prayers in the letter, this is, there's a prayer in chapter 1 and this prayer in chapter 3. Both prayers in the letter focus on power. In chapter 1, Paul asks that the Ephesians might know God's power toward them. And in chapter 3, he asks that they might know God's power at work within them. The reason we doubt God's ability to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think is that we grossly underestimate the power at work within us. We do not have a little 9-volt battery of spiritual power inside of us, but an entire nuclear power plant of his divine might. The same power that raised Christ from the dead now indwells us by his presence and spirit. We ought to anticipate and request that God will overcome big sins, change bad habits, and make us into better followers of Christ. As long as he desires to get glory through the church and in Jesus Christ, we can be sure that God, in ways that are surprising and at times imperceptible, will magnificently exceed our expectations to his everlasting honor and our everlasting joy. And then just a note for verse 21, we see that right at the end. This is all for the glory of the Father. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's what it's all about for God's glory. That's why salvation was accomplished. That's why the Trinity is working in our lives. That's why Christians were brought together in the church. It is for the glory of the Father. If we understand this and we want our lives to be for the glory of God, then let us not think that we can do anything for him in our own strength. Yes, we are to work to fulfill the duty that God has given us, but that work has to be done in his strength. Yes, we have to fight with sin with every last ounce of strength that we have, but we must remember that the strength that we have is from God. Yes, in this culture we have to gather our courage and speak the truth in love, but our courage and strength must come from God. To do any good thing apart from the strength that God provides is to fail utterly and completely short of God's glory. But as we work in God's strength, we are guaranteed to glorify God. Okay, so that's the two doctrine sections. We've been in um, chapters two and three. That's doctrine. Now we're going to move over to the duty, to the practice side, how we're to become who we are. Here's who we are by God's grace. This is how we become that in our lives. Okay, so for that, we're going to read chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us 
according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now to just kind of get us focused on what we're going to talk about tonight from that passage, just want to read a, a little quote from Warren Wearsby, um, just a pastor who has served a long, long time and just puts things really well in a way that I can understand. Um, he says about um, verses 12 through 16, the goal of the church is described in verses 12 through 16. The pastor teacher is to nourish the saints with the word of God and equip them for service. The saints, in turn, perform the work of the ministry. As each saint grows and wins others, the entire body grows in Christ. Verse 12 should read, pastoral license, I'll give him that. He's been pastoring a long time, correcting the translators. Verse 12 should read, for the maturing of the saints unto the work of the ministry unto the building up of the body of Christ. Each saint shares in the growth of the church. But unfortunately, unfortunately, there are some Christians who are still babies, who are unstable and easily led astray. Satan and his ministers are waiting to tear down the church with their lies. The church is edified, built up through the word of God. Churches are not built up and strengthened through man-made programs, entertainment, recreation, or drives. The church is a body and must have spiritual food. This food is the word of God. When the body is completed, Christ will return and take his body, of which he is the head, home to glory. This is just a great summary of the tone and meaning of the passage. The pastor, elder, teacher has a great responsibility to work in Christ's strength, to nourish and equip the saints. The saints... Those of us in the pews have a great responsibility to come to the table so that they could be nourished and equipped. We have to be here so that we can be nourished and equipped. And with that, thanks for being here on Super Bowl Sunday. That's what the free stuff's for. The saints have the responsibility to see that it is not only the pastors, elders, and deacons who are to do the work of the ministry. No, that's not it at all. If you have believed the gospel, as we've talked about earlier, it is simply assumed that you will be doing the work of the ministry. It is simply assumed that you'll be working in the way that God intended you to work so that the body is working properly and growing and building itself up in love. But in this, let us remember yet again that as we fulfill these responsibilities, we work in the strength that God provides through the working of his spirit and not through our own strength. You show me a burned out and frustrated Christian, 
and I'll show you a Christian who is working in their own strength. And I'll tell you what, I've been there many times, and it's a pitiable place to be. Let's not do that. Okay, let's just take a few minutes now to talk about what this speaking truth to a confused world looks like. Let's look at some of the words in verses 15 and 16. This is why we had to go back to the doctrine side. The doctrine side defined these words for us. It told us how to interpret this part. So speaking, I think this is a pretty easy one. It's our words. It's what we speak. And in the, word, in the world that we're in, I'm going to go ahead and extend this to digital forms. It's what we post. It's what we say on our blogs. It's the memes that we post on Facebook. It's all the ways that we communicate with others. It's our words, okay? We all can publish our thoughts and opinions in just a few minutes now. It's really scary, and, and we have to think about our words as well as our written words on social media and blogs. And just a couple of comments on those social media and the digital communications. They have a way of almost dehumanizing people. We aren't looking at the person. Like I can't see, I can see my wife here. I can see how my words affect her. And when I hurt her, I can see it on her face. I can see her reaction right away. When we're doing something online, we can't see that. We just don't know. It dehumanizes them. So we need to be careful to think about how what we say and post affects the people that could be reading. And that leads us to the next point. We never know who might be reading or watching or listening to our posts. We just don't know. And it gets out there, you know, a friend likes it on Facebook, whatever. It just goes and it goes and it goes and it goes. You don't know who's reading it. You don't know who you're hurting. You don't know who you're offending. You don't know who you're driving away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't know what unity you're destroying with your, with your post. So let's be careful with that. Then some questions for us to ask with those, would you say that in person? Would they see the love of Christ that Paul asks God to reveal through the strength of his power, through his spirit? in your inner being? Would you watch that awesome YouTuber news rant with your friend? Would they see the love of Christ that Paul asked God to reveal in that? Would you speak to your friend in the tone that the article that you post is speaking in? Would they see the love of Christ that Paul asked God to reveal through the strength of his power, through the spirit in your inner being? How would this affect your ability to share the gospel? with that person. Would they see the love of Christ? How will this affect the unity of the body of Christ? Will your brothers and sisters see the love of Christ that God, that Paul asked God to reveal through the working of his spirit? Because we don't, we're not all the same. We're not all of the same political views. We're not all of the same convictions about certain things. In our own church, we have people opposite ends of the spectrum. And as I, this is very personal, as I read some of our posts from people here in our church, I don't think anybody means to be inflammatory in me, but there are people over here posting things that make perfect logical sense to them. And it's just like, duh. But to the person over here, it hurts. It goes against what they believe. It goes against their convictions. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ We've got to be careful with our words because we're not on purpose, but we are. We're destroying the unity of the body of Christ. That's not something for us to to mess with. Let's just think, 
maybe of a person that we know has different views from us, and, and even talk to them. Build a relationship with them and talk to them and say, hey, I'm thinking about posting this. I know you wouldn't agree with it, but would you find it offensive? Would you find it just something that just isn't good for the body of Christ? And if you have that relationship with them and they say, hey, that's fine. Yeah, I don't agree with it, but it's good for me to think about. Go ahead then. But if they're like, no, that's hurtful, or if you just think about them and think that could be hurtful and destructive, don't post it. Don't post it. It's not worth it. Second word, truth. This is what's found in the word of God right here. This is the gospel fundamentally. And this truth is the church and it's God's intention for human sexuality. It is the sanctity of human life made in the image of God. It is God as he reveals himself in scripture. If we really think about it, if we're not saved by the gospel, we don't know the truth. The truth isn't in us. If we don't know Jesus, then we don't know the Father, and we don't know the truth. Truth is revealed in the word of God. That's our source of truth. That's where we have to go. That's what that truth is that he's talking about. Love, we've talked about this at length already. This is the love of Christ. This is what is revealed supernaturally to us by the Holy Spirit. That's the standard of love that we're held to, the love of Christ. Grow up in Christ. Grow up into Christ. Again, this is the word of God working in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. This happens as we listen to those who are gifted to us, as chapter 4, verse 12 says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So this happens when we listen to sermons. This happens when we sit under the teaching of the word of God. This also happens as we, as individual Christians, take our proper place in the body and work to make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is us inconveniencing ourselves, taking time out of our schedules to dig into the lives of each other, to care for each other, to speak truth in their lives, and also to take the time to listen when they do that for us. This is inconveniencing ourselves. This is being willing to inconvenience somebody else so that the body can grow up into what it's supposed to be, to build itself up in love. Again, though, these are kind of scary things to think, for me to think about confronting somebody who I think has a blind spot. It's kind of scary. What will they think of me? But I remember the energy and the power and the strength are not our own, but they're God's, and he is enough. And finally, when we think about communicating, the issue of pride, the issue of arrogance comes up. I'm proud. I'm arrogant. I think I'm right. Um, but go back to the gospel. Go back to chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Where are we? Does the Bible say some, some people are here, some people are here? No. The, the gospel levels the playing field. We're all dead children of wrath. Okay, we're all here on the same level. The gospel obliterates pride. If you're proud, you're not understanding and living out the gospel. If you're arrogant, you're not understanding and living out the gospel. The gospel obliterates pride. Okay, we can't think of ourselves here and somebody else here. So we have to start there when we communicate with somebody else. It's only by the grace of God that I know this truth. I'm no better than them. It's only the but God. That's the difference. As we speak to believers, as we speak to believers, we have to start with the gospel too. Just for an example, if I'm, if I'm struggling with sin and you see it, you, you need to come to me and talk to me about it. 
you need to remind me that, hey, Craig, remember the gospel here? Christ died for your sins. You're no longer under that authority of sin. Okay, we see this true, this doctrine in the first half of Ephesians, Ephesians Craig. You, you've heard this taught before. And we see the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, enabling you to, to, to kill sin and to bear fruit for God's glory. We've got to go there with each other and to speak the truth of the gospel. If you're discouraged, realize, hey, you know what? You're free. You're saved. You're a Christian. And look at all these things that in chapter 1 of Ephesians, you're adopted, you're redeemed, and on and on and on and on. That's all part of the gospel, friends, and that's where we have to go if we're discouraged. If we're, if we're insecure in our salvation or we're working with somebody who's not secure in their salvation, again, go back to the gospel. Go back to what is true. Has this happened in your life? Have you turned from your sins, from your own way, towards God? Have you believed in what he has done for you? Have you placed the faith that he has given you in his son? I just want to, this is something that I kind of see happening a lot of times on, on Facebook and other places too, is when we try to speak to or work with an unbeliever, we try to reason with them or rationalize with them about the, the mistakes of their worldview, of their thinking. But when we consider talking with an unbeliever about a problem they're facing or a sin that they're committing or a view that they have that's wrong, the only place that we can take them to is the gospel. There's no amount of reasoning that can change them. No amount of coaxing can make them be who they are not. No amount of our help can save them from who they are as children of wrath. That's just who they are. Anything outside of the cross of Christ is inadequate for their problem. We're wasting our time and theirs if we don't see this. We're wasting their time and ours. We don't see this. The only thing to do with an unbeliever is to pray and to work with them to see their hopelessness and their sin and the glorious salvation that God offers. Their salvation will come from God alone. We have to have Christ in order to work for the building up of the body of Christ. We have to, Christ is the one who heals people. We can't do it. We have to take them to the healer. And then finally, last, last point, I've been talking about addressing others. What about ourselves? We're sinners too. We need the body of Christ to come and to talk to us. Again, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It's the gospel. We are all children of wrath. We are all stone cold dead apart from Christ. And if we understand that and glory in the salvation that we're offered, that we're provided in Christ, then it's not an offensive thing that makes you step back and say, hey, whoa, back off, buddy. When somebody comes and tries to help us along in our faith, it's a, oh, thank you. God, thank you for providing this person to love me and to make me more like you so that I can serve you more and give you more glory. Thank you, God, for giving him the courage to talk to me. Thank you, God, for giving him the wisdom to see this, the discernment to look into my life and to correct me. That's the gospel-centered response to correction, to someone loving us. And we can only have that response through the gospel. That's not a human response. That's not something that we do on our own. Only God, through his gospel, brings that. So in conclusion, we do have a responsibility to speak truth to a confused world. But in everything we do, 
our speech needs to be dictated and controlled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has to be. It's the only thing that will bring healing to our nation that Jeremy prayed about tonight. It's only the gospel can do that. We can lobby and rally and argue our points and all those things, but, but that can't change people. It's the gospel. If we have neighbors who are hurting, the gospel. If we have relationships that are broken, if our own marriages are hurting, we have to go back to the gospel, see the truth there, and go from the gospel, and that will bring healing. Let's speak the truth in a confused world through the grace and strength that God provides through his spirit. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful that you have worked so hard to reveal yourself to us, to us who are lost, to those of us who are dead in our sins and transgressions. But you, through your word, have given us everything we need to know in order to become your children, in order to have that hope and peace and joy. And Father, you've left us here to be an example to the world, to be a light to the world, so that they may know the truth in the midst of all this confusion. Father, give us boldness through your strength and your power to speak well, to speak lovingly, to speak carefully according to the truths of your word. And Father, if we don't see it as an issue in your word, let's not spend our time on it. Father, help us to stay away from those things that are just our, our platforms. It's not worth it. Father, keep us to you and to your truths and to your priorities. Father, we pray all these things in your strength and for your glory. Amen.